Hi there. We're coming up on a new season of Radio Free Midworld covering book five of the Dark Tower series, Wolves of the Kala. If you are following along and you have not uh, begun reading it yet, consider going to duckfeed.tv slash tipjar and using the Amazon links we provide there. We get a cut of whatever you buy, um, the proceeds, I mean, uh, and that goes toward helping us pay the bills over here. Once again, that is duckfeed.tv slash tipjar. Thank you. Welcome to Radio Free Midworld, the podcast about the Dark Tower series of books and related works by Stephen King. My name is Cole Ross, and I'm your host, and today I'm joined by Autumn Greer. Hi, Autumn. Never more delighted to be here. How are you doing, Cole? I'm doing just fine. I am excited to talk about this very, very weird book. Uh, I think I think weird is is definitely the the right word for it. Uh, you know, we'll we'll obviously get into this, but I, I finished it and I don't know if I love it or hate it. Yeah, it is. Um, I don't think it's very good. I think that it is especially. Um, pungent is pungent the uh, an appropriate word for this (laughs) like it's a mess but (laughs) you you know what i was kind of thinking that it was a little bit like like because we obviously know we're however many episodes deep i think we've established that stephen king is a really good writer a master of characterization Mm -hmm. he'd he'd probably be good at writing just about anything i mean i'm sure stephen king's harry potter fan fiction would be very good (laughs) But I don't know if I love reading Harry Potter fan fiction. Yeah, that's that's the thing. So, uh, in case you didn't see this on the uh, on the title, we're talking about the Regulators, which, though it was written by Stephen King, is actually a Richard Bachman book, which brings with it a bunch of different stuff. This is the first Bachman book I've read, Autumn. Is it really? Um, no, no thinner, no. Yeah, no thinner, no um, uh, n- no rage. Although I guess you don't really get a hold of that one nowadays. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I like the movie of The Running Man, but I've never actually uh, read the book that it's based on. Stuff like that, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, I think that the tone Stephen King has always said of the Bachman books, his his alias as opposed to his regular books, is just a little bit more gritty and violent. Uh, and that, I mean, in this in this book, there's a very satisfying moment where somebody is turned into a cloud of red mist. Like, <laughs> this is incredibly tawdry. Uh, it's it's lurid. I think that a, 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 a like pulpy is a word that I would use to describe it. You don't usually talk about a body count when you're talking about <laughs> Stephen King. Yeah, like it, it it pops up it pops up quite naturally. And actually, one of the problems that I have with this book. Um, is that it is chock full of characters and most of them just exist to die. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know? I I can't tell if the book suffered or was better. I, I don't know. You know, we, we ended up really enjoying Desperation. You and I mm-hmm. talked about that on a previous podcast. And this, this book... Well, I, I guess it shares more than just a little bit in common with Desperation. Yeah. It's it's really tough for me to tell. I mean, when you see the the same characters again in almost a fan fiction type of way in a completely different universe, <laughs> yeah. it's hard to tell. Um, 
again, like I, I don't know what Stephen King's version of Harry Potter would be, but I'd, I imagine it would just be, you know, they spend a lot of time in Hogsmeade, the little village with oh, the yeah. ominous school up on the hill, you know? <laughs> maybe maybe there are some Ripper-style murders in Diagon Alley. Oh, exactly. And yeah. and there's some townspeople, some slice of life. We'll see that they're real fucked up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's But what's hiding behind those picket fences? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So we we mentioned this uh, in the same breath as uh, Desperation because this book is a twinner to it. Uh, so in the fiction uh, of Bachman's life, again, Richard Bachman does not exist. He was a pseudonym, so Stephen King could write more books and write different kind of books. This is actually a manuscript that was unearthed after after Bachman died. Like his wife found it in a in a chest. Uh, I think that it was this, and then Blaze is the other Bachman book that came out well after this one did. You know, it's kind, of, it's kind of the ultimate in fan service. Like, what fun for Stephen King to write the intro to this last Bachman book. Uh-oh. I mean, his his pen name's Wife Remarried. <laughs> that is so after, funny. After his death. I mean, it's... <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it's it, it's funny. He's, he's playing some games. And he's doing some, like, alternate universe-style stuff, too. Because, you know, this mirrors desperation in lots of ways lots of characters show up nominally again some of them are pretty much the same right like this uh, uh, johnny marinville is here again but like what if he took a different path mm-hmm. um tack is still the villain of the story you know the the the, the, the demon etc um but yeah i don't know that i i don't know that i would have ever said this before but the book that opens with the monster cop shooting people and putting them on hooks is far more contemplative contemplative than this like the <laughs> the the fact that desperation is this kind of poignant meditation on faith uh in a lot of ways like makes this really i mean it if this makes it look like what it is which is a a a, a ditch screenplay for sam peckinpah <laughs> You know, you you had um, brought that to my attention. I didn't really know that about the background of this. Have have you seen these Sam Peckinpah movies or The Wild Bunch? And that's about it. Like I know his reputation as like, oh yeah, like super gory, super pulpy western kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 But but that's that that's just about it. And like this this makes sense because also in a lot of ways this is you know a, a, a major factor in this is basically what of the violence from media especially children's media bled out into the real world like what if uh you know a, a demon from another place you know saw you know, latched onto that for information and used it to enact this fantasy to feed right oh yeah yeah and and feed he does <laughs> Yeah. So uh, have you seen Pe- Peck and Paw films? I I had not. I tried to do a little bit of a Wikipedia looking um, mm-hmm. beforehand. And I mean, obviously, I made sure to listen to Warren G's regulators at least once. Oh, of course. Just just in case it came up. Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Warren G and Nate Dogg, one of the best choruses in hip hop. I love it so much. <laughs> uh, I agree. <laughs> uh, at least that, that I know of. I don't listen to a lot, but that song is that song has a good reputation for for a reason. So why are we talking about this on a Dark Tower uh, on a on Dark Power, Tower podcast? Uh, so even though Tack returns, uh, you know he is mostly the same. Actually, he is still you know kind of this demonic presence that doesn't really have that much of a physical form, uh, but he is a beast from the Todash darkness. You know, from the Prim when it receded, kind of similar to. Uh, even the demons and oracles that we find in the gunslinger. Pro- Progression-wise, is this our first time really seeing twinners, seeing two people exist in different universes? 
I'm trying to think. I mean, um, I I have not read. Um, I keep wanting to say Bleak House, but that's Charles Dickens, right? Um, yeah. Black House mm-hmm. or, or the Talisman? Which which one is? Uh, I think I think Black House is the one that is more explicitly uh, tower related. I think Talisman was a little bit of like a like an accident where they linked it in and then they went full hog with Black House. I have not read either, but you know I've read synopses and preparing for the show. Yeah, and I I would presume one day we'll we'll get to those, but I think this is the first time we've kind of seen that two universes can exist with sort of the same people and all the puzzle. I mean, the way everything stacks up. The Jenga Tower is completely rearranged. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so this is definitely, uh, I think, the, the the first major appearance of that idea. Obviously, um, uh, King has used similar kind of you know, similar ideas, similar stories, uh, character archetypes and things. Um, like there's a there's a comparison between uh, Bobby Garfield and Shimi Ruiz. Like, I think that is an explicit connection that's made. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting going on the Stephen King, uh, like Wikipedia, like wikis and things like that, like the, <laughs> the list of possible twinners. Um, some people make some some stretches, you know, like I'd, it hadn't occurred to me that the, the Dutch Hill mansion uh, that Eddie goes into was a twinner with the Marston house in Salem's lot. But somebody somebody kind of put that together. But, yeah, um, I, I, I can see that. And I've, I, I'm surprised we didn't mention that in Salem's lot. Um, also, I'm surprised. Uh, addendum for this, I'm surprised we didn't talk about how much the white shows up in Salem's Lot, because that is a very important concept that is brought in. The white being kind of the name for the force of good. Um, okay, no, just the... just delete it off of the feed. Let's re-record <laughs> it right now. We'll pretend this never happened. <laughs> yes. Uh, to your to your point, though, I you know I, I I drew a little bit of that comparison as well. But the Dutch Hill Mansion is mostly is mostly compared with uh, what is it, the house on Nygaard Street in uh mm. in it okay yeah specifically like down to the uh the wallpaper with the dancing elves mm-hmm. yeah wow yeah <laughs> that that wiki We're... that wiki page for uh for twinners is very funny because it's like <laughs> four four confirmed twinners and then just a big space for every single fan theory <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's it's funny reading this book because I feel like the other characters were really well drawn in Desperation, and then the villain in this one. I think, you know, we saw we saw that Talk was kind of cruel and monstrous, but we saw him through the prism of other characters. Mm-hmm. Man, Tech is petty. Oh my god, it, it makes so much sense that he is just uh, both living in a child's body and then also just reveling in all of the trappings of childhood. Like, did you get a did you get a real like Twilight Zone? The, the it's a good life kind of vibe from this. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Like we all have to be nice to the good boy. <laughs> yep. You do you do everything right, little David Tack. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, Tack is um, man, those scenes with him with uh with, with Seth and Audrey, and, and you know, and 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 Tack riding shotgun, I guess, um, are some really upsetting snippets of fiction actually absolutely absolutely yeah um the other tower connection and we haven't run into this uh a lot yet this is kind of like the vampire so this book prominently features the idea that psychically powerful or gifted people can create um a space that they can retreat to um this fa- this factors heavily into uh Susanna's story in the final three books uh specifically the idea of a dogen uh this place where she goes to uh, kind of regulate um, her pregnancy. Like, we know she's pregnant. <laughs> uh, and also, you know, 
keep keep track of what's going on going on inside. This is, as far as I know, the first time where that really pops up, and it's not just a metaphor; like it is actually a physical a physical place where they travel to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, just so we get get that out there, and I should have probably run this final note by you on the structure, but. <laughs> the regulators is a very strangely paced book in that it takes place over the course of it of, of a single afternoon but it intersperses with uh diary entries and kind of uh publication snippets and things like that it does a lot of back and forth rather than following it everywhere it goes i want to get the opening action of this and then just tell the story of what happened with seth and talk uh before we go to the conclusion. Does that sound like a good idea? Absolutely. You know, for anyone that does actually read either the book or the the e-publication version, the Kindle version or something like that, mm-hmm. they, they do a good job at the epistolary format of using different fonts, handwritten fonts, drawings and everything. It's um, in a way that... You, you know, we saw like in old Stephen King books like Carrie and things like that, him playing mm-hmm. with formats. But it's it's cool seeing the different fonts being used. It really helps with the tone. Yeah. Um, and even if you do something like listen to the audiobook version, which is what I what I end up doing, um, go and try and find scans, especially of the pictures, because it includes Seth's uh, kind of crayon drawings. Um, mm-hmm. And because of the queasy way this uh, I about said game because of the queasy way this book you know messes around with reality and makes a kid's imagination come to life that actually like helps you fill out the details of what's being described in, like, you, you, you know it says a lot about the violence in this that you just accidentally called it a game like it was a hex crank <laughs> scenario <laughs> Like, like at one point they say, you know, like, oh, Seth has created himself the ultimate video game. It's not just a video game. It's VR, you know, yeah. and, and again, it's a it's a it's a look at violence in media in a, <laughs> in, a in a very real way. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that that slip wasn't just because I do game podcasts most of the time. I think that there is definitely we, we are talking about a different kind of you know, possibly more disposable thing that is still uh, affecting. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Any other generalized thoughts, things that I missed or things you want to lay out before we start uh, kind of talking about what happens in the story? Um, No, I guess the last thing. No, I I guess the last thing might be uh, these books were originally released with original artwork on the outside. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Desperation of the regular regulators had kind of correlating book covers, right? That when Mm -hmm. they were put together, made this one long, crazy panorama, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, Also look up scans of that because it's real interesting because you can see, you know, even though they are very different stories, you can see the way that they uh, merge in between them. Like at the very edges, you can see a little bit of the world that the, uh, that the other book is, uh, you know, drawing into. Right. Yep. Yeah. It was very cool. Thank you for, um, (laughs) thank you for reminding me of that because like, there's a bunch of stuff about the release of this that is really gimmicky. Right. I, (laughs) If if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, I was looking at some scans on like Google Books of the complete Stephen King universe. He went into some 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 depth on this that I, I didn't like. He re- released a bunch of publicity materials that are, like coordinated with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they 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 sold. I guess at one point they sold the two books in a shrink wrap set with a keep you up all night book light. <laughs> I mean, there was some some kind of cheesy promotional <laughs> stuff that went along with this. Yeah. 
and again, it seems to fit with this. I don't know how well it fits with desperation. I don't, <laughs> I, you know, it'll sound like I'm standing for desperation right now, but like holding these two next to each other, one is definitely way more to my taste. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so let's do this. You would think that I would like this because it casts a negative light on Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the so this whole thing takes place uh, in Wentworth, Ohio, a, a fictional suburb of Columbus on Poplar Street. And just the amount of detail that King goes into to make this place seem sickeningly American and normal. He calls it the apotheosis of summer. You know, if, if, if you would indulge me for a moment, there was a quote that I had written down. This is the kingdom of Ohio where the kids wear their hats turned around backward and their strappy tank tops hang down over their baggy shorts <laughs> and their great big galooty sneakers all seem to bear the Nike swoosh. Is that is that your style, Cole, when you were when you were a lad? Oh, yeah. 20 years later, for sure. You know, <laughs> 1996 to 2018 inclusive. Yeah, yeah, you have those those big galooty sneakers. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to pump them up so they stay on real, you know, so they stay on tight. You, you jump higher. Yeah, <laughs> and when I'm not and when I'm not doing that, I'm like the other kid, which is described later, uh, rollerblading down the sidewalk with uh, with a Walkman in one hand and a ice cream cone in the other, just grinning the whole way. Yeah, wow, it's idyllic. It really is. You know, just we do things a little bit differently here in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like this, so the opening, it's not just that, but also it is the description of basically everybody who lives, uh, who lives up and down the street. It's, it's like life, a user's guide or whatever that George A. Perec book is about the apartment block. But yeah, like uh, we're not going to do the whole introductions. I figure we'll talk about characters as they, as they figure in some, mm-hmm. some of them have more detail than others. Um, by which I mean, some of them speak and other ones just get blown to bits. <laughs> but the uh the inciting action here we've got this horny teenage paper boy who's distracted by you know uh an older girl wiggling down the lane when a strange van with a satellite dish spinning on the top of it pulls up and just blows him away mm-hmm. and uh they take aim at another set of kids the carver kids uh ralph this time not being the dad but being the exceptionally shitty uh brother <laughs> Oh, this kid's a dirtbag. Hate him. <laughs> Why? What does his mom see in him? I guess when it's your own, but just the way he tortures his the way he tortures his sister. You know, if if anyone ever asked me, because I I was an only child, and if I if I know understand correctly, you have one brother, Cole, correct? I have an older brother, and I have a younger half sister. Okay. A lot of, lot of damn Ross kids. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm going to point people to this scene when people are like, don't you regret not going up, growing up with a sibling? Don't you regret being an only child, Autumn? I'm going to point them to this little scene with this little piss hand <laughs> yeah. and hate him. You never had to share the chocolate and nobody gave you shit for buying the magazine with Ethan Hawke on the cover. <laughs> Didn't didn't he say in the notes at the beginning that when he wrote this, it was originally Rob Lowe and he changed it to Ethan Hawke because he thought it was a younger, more modern reference? <laughs> I believe so, and that yeah. is that is very strange. How like if it like if it was Rob Lowe, I never would have batted an eye, but Ethan Hawke stands out as like, oh yeah, this is definitely the mid nineties. <laughs> It's kind of funny, too, because Rob Lowe ended up being in the Stan miniseries. So, I mean, King mm-hmm. obviously thinks he's a hottie. This was after. Oh, yeah, I, I suppose you're right. He, he would have written that before the Stan miniseries. Okay. Sorry, I got confused there. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yes, I, I, so you'll have biographical details about this that I don't have because I didn't get the, uh, I didn't get that forward in my, uh, in, in the, in the audiobook version. Ah, okay. Well, um, just, just so everybody knows this was originally Rob Lowe, but he decided to skew it a little younger. Oh yeah. I mean, got to aim <laughs> and, for the kids. Yeah. And I guess Justin Bieber wasn't out yet because <laughs> no. he was probably like two years old when this came out. So in 1996, yeah, he probably was about two years old. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I lose a decade, so he was either two years old or negative eight years old. <laughs> Somewhere in there. <laughs> Somewhere. Um, but instead of shooting the Carver kids, this mysterious, uh, uh, you know, shooter inside the van uh, takes out the neighborhood dog. Unfortunately, not like the one dog they all share is just a beloved dog that you know was around. It's a good dog. He, he, I mean, it was, the dog was just living its life. Yeah, they're all good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you're a good dog and a, you see a kid drop a paper because he got shot, you want to go pick up that paper. Yeah, you want to help out. Yeah. Uh, now I'm sad. <laughs> that is... oh. oh, but, you know, the, the, the shots ring out like everybody like people heard thunder coming in and there's just a bunch of confusion about whether or not, you know, this is a lightning crash coming down or if it's, you know, gunshots and something about these vans and about the gunfire and everything is that it is all way bigger and uh, louder and flashier than it actually would be. Right. Like mm -hmm. we have Johnny Marinville who at one point remarks on the gunfire saying it was never like this in Vietnam. Like this is what it would have been like at Ypres or the Somme. Like this is an art. This, uh, these guns are artillery cannons. Yeah. He's heard real gunfire in the context of war. And he's like, this just doesn't make sense. Right. <laughs> So something is going on that we'll explain once we uh, pull the veil back on the mystery. Um, mm -hmm. But everybody runs inside. We've got Johnny Marinville, kind of our secondary protagonist in this after Seth. Um, he tries calling for help and he hears a mouth breathing little kid reciting this filthy limerick like itty bitty baby schmitty got caught biting mommy's titty or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which after that, that little Ralph kid from the beginning, I'm, I'm just off of like ten year old boys right now. Ugh. No, no, t t <laughs> t terrible. And also, there's a there's a sexual aspect attack that is designed very well to uh, tuned very well for discomfort. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing that was was weird while this is kind of all going on, and we're slowly getting introduced to the these characters. Um, Peter Jackson is wearing a t-shirt with a big yellow smiley face on it with mm -hmm. the have a nice day, which is what we see Randall flag wearing. It's, Oh yeah. What, it's what we see in what, what's his new book about Mr. Um, Mercedes. Um, there's a, there's a killer in there with a smiley face symbol. So we do see the smiley face every now and then. <laughs> it, no, it, it is never good news in, in Peter's case, it's foreshadowing. Yeah. In a, in a, in a really, in a really pretty upsetting way. Speaking of upsetting things related to uh, to Peter, more vans come in, um, and well, first off, Mary, his wife, is not a major character who lives throughout the entire book. Like in Desperation, no, she gets iced pretty much in the first twenty pages, I think. It, she she does have one shining moment because when she rolls up in the car before the vans show up, uh -huh. she's coming back from having an affair on Peter. Yep. She's been having a, a great day. Yeah, no, she's she's been out there in the just in those wonderful downtown Columbus, uh, Columbus uh, hotels like the Red Roof Inn uh, by the convention center. All those places, you know. 
ouch this this is savage this this podcast is getting too real cole <laughs> i've i've built up a fiction I, I i would not like to live in columbus it's probably a fine place i've never found anything of interest there <laughs> I, I i very specifically decided not to go to osu because i did not want to be around there so. yeah one one time i had a stromboli from a from a vendor at that convention center so oh, yeah <laughs> yeah it was it was adequate yeah <laughs> stromboli how is that different from a calzone is the, the the sauce on the outside and you have to dip it or is the sauce it's, inside I it's just a it's just a tighter more tubular roll it's like the mm. the the chimichanga of pizza yeah like like a like a like you get a piatta italian street food fast <laughs> casual with a with, yeah. with an italian soda <laughs> <laughs> it's all ohio like I'm, i i realize i'm you know be, being petty about this but cincinnati is cool and good um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Mary, she dies very in a very undignified fashion. She's shot returning from her affair. Uh, she's not wearing any uh, underwear. And yeah. it leads to a recurring fragment of a joke that I actually had to go look up. Uh, I, fr I forget who it is that, you know, spots and you know, sees like, oh, like she's splayed out and has no underwear on. Uh, mm -hmm. But he keeps on hearing this. He keeps on hearing in his head this uh, this punchline. I don't know about the other two, but the one in the middle looks like Willie Nelson. Do you want to hear the actual joke? Yes, please. Okay. So a woman goes into a tattoo parlor and she says, all right, I've got a very specific request. Um, on the inside of my left thigh, I would like to have Robert Redford. On the inside of my right thigh, I'd like to have Marlon Brando. Uh, the version that I read had, you know, old, old, old timey heartthrobs or whatever, you know? And so the tattoo artist says, all right, well, okay, cool. Well, let's just go ahead and do that. He does the tattoo and she looks down and says, this sucks. It doesn't, doesn't look like, doesn't look like anybody. Like you call yourself an artist and the tattoo artist says, well, okay, well, tell you what, you'll only have to pay for this tattoo. If you go outside and show this to somebody, show these tattoos, if, if, if they don't recognize them, then I've obviously done a bad job and I'll give you a refund. So she goes outside the tattoo parlor and finds the first person and says, Hey, look at these tattoos and, you know, tell me, you know, do you recognize, you know, do you, do you recognize the, you know, the, 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 the two faces here guy looks and says, well, I don't know the one on the left and I don't know the one on the right, but the one in the middle looks like Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good filthy joke. It, that is a good, filthy joke. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> that, took some, that took some doing to find. Yeah. Yeah, for younger viewers, pretend we said Ethan Hawke in the mm, middle. And Rob Lowe. Yeah, Ethan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. But she goes down in the middle of the street. Uh, <laughs> let me see here. Uh, also, David Carver, uh, father to the shithead Ralph. Uh, he gets he gets shot on his doorstep uh, on, on his doorstep. Um, again, we're we're glossing over some of these people that they, that, that they spend some deal of time introducing Marielle Smith, kind of the neighborhood gossip who nobody likes. Oh, uh, she's a oh, she's a battle act. She's mean. Oh. Her poor husband. No wonder he's a drunk. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, Mar Marielle just uh, you know nobody really seems to care for her. Her her husband is a secret alcoholic, and everybody realizes it because. He starts just, uh, I think at one point he pulls out like cooking sherry and just starts downing it to cope with what's happening. That's that's not a good look. No, no. Um, but yeah, Mariel, uh, she gets hit uh, with a shell in her shoulder and her arm is like hanging on, hanging on by a shred. 
we have Tom Billingsley. He's back as a as a veterinarian this time. He's not changed very much. He tries to sew it on, but guess who else is here in this house? We got our good friend Collie and Trajan. And for the first time, we're seeing him not possessed by uh, <laughs> some sort of eldritch entity. Yeah, and also there's not an awful lot to him. Like he's just a disgraced former, you know, a disgraced former cop uh, who won't, you know, who, who I guess he was trying to uh, expose some of his uh, uh, colleagues who were on the take. He tried to go Serpico, um, so they framed him. I think something yeah. like that. Do, do do I have that correct? I, I believe so. Yes, I yeah. I wasn't positive if he just kind of had that in his head, but it, it looks like on paper that he he was framed. His his um, compatriots framed him just to get him off the force. Yeah, um, but there's really not an awful lot. <laughs> there's not an awful lot that uh, uh, differentiates him, except for the fact that everybody just kind of keeps their distance because. He's a bit of a loner, um, and also just everybody thinks he's creepy. Additionally, when all this started, he was uh, half-naked and shaving, so he spends the whole first part of the story uh, <laughs> covered in shaving cream on his face. <laughs> yeah. And what I, what I do like about Marielle Smith, literally holding her own arm that's holding on by, like, a thread, is still just chewing everybody's ass. <laughs> yeah. And like during during the struggle, like and Trajan's trying to keep her, you know, like just like, hey, she gets so agitated that her arm falls off entirely. Yeah, I think they put it in the refrigerator. Something like that. And the vet, you know, he tries to tries to sew her back up, but you know, she she dies, obviously. He's like, Yeah, she needed a trauma ward. She didn't need an uh, a retired veterinarian with shaky hands. Yeah. We're, we're talking about this. Is this a comedy, Autumn? It it's it's so it, it's it's presented comically. I mean, he yeah. doesn't go into much details on the grossness. Like like he doesn't. He's not like he's not descriptive about this. He's just literally saying her arm is hanging on by a thread, yeah. which I, th I think the intent is to be a little bit almost comedic, yeah, like a, a caricature almost. Yeah. So like if. If if desperation is the shadow over Ensmith, then this is Herbert West reanimator. Re reanimator. <laughs> <laughs> like if we're doing a Lovecraft comparison. Um yeah. So arm is off. Gary, he's in the sherry. <laughs> um and also uh Pie Carver, Ellie Carver, this time she's the mom. You know, she's she, she's Ralph, the mom to the horrible Ralph Carver. She you know, she steps outside to take a look. The regulators blow her eyes out. And this is the first really, really gory uh, kill in this. Yeah. Like, she is fully aware she's still alive, but it just, like, one moment she sees and the next she doesn't. And she she's kind of, when it happens, because, um, you know, she's got the two children. And it's been apparent to us that that little monster, Ralphie, is the favorite. Mm -hmm. um, she doesn't favor her older girl daughter. And she's actually so worried about her young, sweet, good boy that she abandons her daughter to go try to run to Ralphie yeah. and gets clipped. Yep. Down, down she goes. <laughs> Ellie is sketched pretty well, I think, uh, because she has this uh, obsession with Hummel figurines. Like her uh, again, this uh, you know the, the the apotheosis of the American summer. Uh, you know her 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 unspoken wish was to design her own Hummel figurine. Uh, uh, you know, just of her sweet baby boy Ralph, because he's oh. a perfect angel and he needs to be immortalized in that way. Truly the American dream. <laughs> I love um I love Johnny's reaction 
when he get, when he goes into their house and sees all the Hummel figurines, he's like, oh gosh, I thought she was normal. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. There's there's some there's some listener right now who collects Hummel figurines that like a single tear just rolled down their face and they're like I love them. Oh sure no I just uh, they're they're a treasure to me Cole and Autumn. There's there's nothing there's nothing that I can take away from you that the movie about Schmidt didn't already. (laughs) And I again cannot throw stones. My grandma collects precious moments figures. So oh yeah we we were a collecting family we we collected all the things yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I understand. This is a, this is a this is a real thing. Well, you know, I I always say that like we make fun of stuff like this. Like, can you imagine collecting something ridiculous like Hummel figurines? Not like me with all of my Funko Pops. <laughs> yeah, that's that's completely different because this one's me shown from Walking Dead. That's what I, I the other day I was saying something to someone because I'm like, yeah, my mom always took all these crazy vitamins. Like she would take a handful of vitamins every morning and it was ridiculous. Uh-huh. Not like me who takes a handful of vitamins every morning and there's a lot of science behind it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, the thing was, see, those were a bunch of pills that she was taking that mine are gummy. <laughs> yeah. I'm a doll. Exactly. God, can you imagine? <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> Ellie Ellie is down, and it's pretty horrible uh, the way they describe her uh, going going away, um, going going away, dying in front of her kids. It sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, Johnny Marinville is um, once again kind of a kind of an unexpected hero. He is, um, except this time he's far more likable. Yeah, I I did notice that he found a way. For anybody that listened to the Desperation podcast, he did he did mention. I, I wrote the line down right here. Johnny Marinville, who had once won the National Book Award, mm-hmm. he had to mention that. <laughs> he sir, he did. So you could <laughs> you, you could basically see like the two of them as uh, different like you know different paths of the same guy. So in Desperation, mm-hmm. he continued his career despite the fact that it ruined his marriage and despite the fact that he was kind of driven into addiction as a way to cope with his with his time in vietnam um in the regulators he looked at all that and in talking with his ex-wife she mentioned uh kind of this this children's story idea that he came up with and said you know like you you need to get away from home like you like you need you need to not be you and so he settled he settled down in suburban columbus and makes you know a healthy living um you know basically off of the royalties of this like detective kitty um, yeah. <laughs> this is... What I what I like in both of them is that Johnny Marinville is a is a a bit of an artist kind of screw up, and mm-hmm. his ex wife in both of these is the one that sets him on the straight narrow and narrow and says you're really good at this. Mm-hmm. Write this book, and he ends up being financially successful from both of these. It's just an interesting little little twinner note. Yeah. Oh, certainly. I just if if I had to pick which Johnny to be, it would be this one. <laughs> like this uh th- this seems far more satisfying <laughs> if i you know if i was given the choice the a, yeah. a choice of johnny's i i feel like in um goofing on some of this stuff we skimmed over the fact that these these vans that people have been shot from these vans are not cool these vans look stupid their their paint is garish they're like banana colored bright mm-hmm. blue colored like the they have the you had mentioned those little dishes on the top which reminds me so much of the wastelands those <laughs> those those weird machines with their thinking caps yeah yeah no these are these are gaudy like nobody recognizes any of this in fact the only uh kind of antecedent to this is you know we see a little news newspaper clipping um 
of a drive-by shooting uh, from a similar circumstance out west in Nevada. But yeah, mm-hmm. like these uh, people like look inside and they can't see um, inside the uh, kind of cockpits of the vans either. Like, mm-hmm. and, and when they get a glimpse of one guy, like there's nothing where his face should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of this, all of this is kind of revealed, uh, you know, a, a layer of complications. Uh, Peter Jackson, he goes out um, to, you know, to basically get his wife's body. And he sees that the vans, these garish uh, vans that look like big toys, uh, they're not real. Like, he can see through them. They're like projections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, he is drawn to the Weiler house. We have not met the Weilers just yet, but we're going to spend a lot of time because they're at the root of everything. And they're the most interesting characters as well, the way that they're kind of written out. I mean, I almost feel like we kind of got short shrift on a lot of these people. They're mm-hmm. just kind of caricatures, like... Oh, we're the racist family. We're the I'm I'm the writer that lives by himself and plays my guitar on the porch. But <laughs> Seth and Audrey, we we spend a lot of time inside both of their heads. Yes, um, and you know the the particular kind of hell that the entire family was put together. Right? Well, you know, mm-hmm. it was you know, that was made for the family to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, the the horror of a house that is run by a petulant child. Mm-hmm. Or you know a, a demon who is emulating a petulant child, just the, the 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 how it turns into a filthy hoarder home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so we should talk about this. Uh, so we have Seth and Audrey Weiler. Seth uh, is an autistic boy, uh, fulfilling one square in Stephen King Bingo. I think this is the uh, the the center square where the uh, <laughs> <laughs> where, where where the child uh, with some kind of special need uh, ends up having magical powers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we've talked plenty about that in the past. I I like this depiction just because Seth is universally a very observant and intelligent, like preternaturally intelligent boy. He just is unable to communicate. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, Seth is you know a, a young boy, a young boy with autism, um, and he lost his parents to the shooting two years ago. You know, during this trip out west, uh, the shooting that I mentioned before that is really similar to what is happening now. Um, and Audrey, Seth's aunt, and her husband, Herb, uh, took Seth in, and uh, hell, hell happens. It, there's, there's a little bit of sweetness to, to all of this uh, and the way that I think Seth is, is treated. You know, you, you hear about a story where someone is kind of forced because of deaths to take in a, a child. You know, usually there's a, a moment of resentfulness or something like that. Mm-hmm. Audrey just loves this good, sweet boy. Certainly. I, I like that quite a bit as well, because even though she acknowledges that there are, you know, there are challenges, she she loves Seth, knows that there is a core of sweetness, understands that, you know, the, the problem is just that he is unable to communicate and just is very invested in learning how to meet his needs and properly t- properly take care of him. The only problem is kind of this uh, passenger that Seth has with him. Mm-hmm. Which which doesn't come out at first. I mean, at first when she and her husband take in Seth, I mean, it's it's kind of idyllic. Yeah, <laughs> like they're get, they're getting adjusted. You know, they're uh, Seth has all of his toys. They're you know just basically feeling him out and learning learning how they can make their life together, right? And and Seth is a big fan of of one series of toys in particular. <laughs> yep, Motocops twenty twenty. <laughs> 
Um, what, do, what do you think that, that Motocops 2020 is a cipher for? Is there an analogous cartoon property or something that you can think of where they would have vehicles? I mean, it's kind of like a like a futuristic A-team almost, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so at the at, at the end, that final letter, I think, implies that it's uh, that this is Motocops is the um, Takuro spirit or the Nozala uh, version of G.I. Joe. Okay. Is the idea. Okay. That like GI Joe does not exist in this, but boy oh boy, Moto Cops, <laughs> Moto Cops is GI Joe and Power Rangers all wrapped up into one. <laughs> you know, it's it's very futuristic because it's called Moto Cops 2020, but I mean it's almost 2020. And I where's know. my where's my motorized car where I get to shoot people? Where's that? <laughs> the things are going to get really weird in the next two years. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> uh, Seth loves, you know, loves these toys. You know, he especially loves Cassie, uh, the, uh, what, what is it? The, the, the version of Scarlet, um, from the, from, from the GI Joe, you know, has a particular affection for her, but also, uh, he really, really enjoys, uh, Westerns because even though this takes place in 1996, it also takes place in 1956. <laughs> But Seth, he loves Bonanza. Um, he loves uh, a particular wet, you know, spaghetti western that doesn't really exist called The Regulators um, uh, that stars Rory Calhoun, you know, the one who's always standing up. Be be just like if your grandpa was also really into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> How do you know he wasn't? <laughs> yeah. Fair. That's um but you know he like it like any kid will do uh <laughs> seth watches them over and over again uh and you know tack the again his his passenger there loves these things he loves the uh the the, the violence uh that is inherent in all of this uh we should talk about how tack uh how tack got there because that is a really chilling section of the book that... It, it 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 really is. I mean, you know, we're familiar with the town desperation and the mine from the book <laughs> Desperation. Mm -hmm. But but the the family was taking a, a a nice old vacation out to um out to the Nevada desert. Mhm. Mm <laughs> to see all the intense people. And they just happen to be driving, probably singing Kumbaya on the way. Mm -hmm. And um Seth, who was nonverbal, um just started talking in in practically full sentences saying i need to go see the mine um and it's kind of like he seems the family seems to think that he thinks it's the mine from from the regulators or from bonanza mm -hmm. no uh, and he weirdly enough the mine that he's talking about is the china pit which was just uncovered like mm -hmm. the, like no like nobody outside of the of the desperation mining company should know that that is that that's opened up but like the you know the family his mom and dad just elated that he, he's speaking it's a big deal they drive toward desperation and they go every step of the way basically to keep the line of communication open as Seth is leading them forward and he's doing that because Tack is calling out to him yeah, the the way that this is done in the book is with uh, kind of a confession that a, a guy left. Um, if I in the event of my death, here's a true accounting of of what happened this day in in the mine. Mm -hmm. But the he makes the point that Seth is um, pointing exactly like he's looking at aerial views that are posted up on the the wall at the mining place, and he's mm -hmm. like right there, right there. Yeah. You know, that's where we need to to go and. On the maps, it looks like nothing, but he's pointing very specifically to one spot. 
yeah and this <laughs> this negligent um yeah this negligent mine you know mining manager he ta- like he takes them like like down to the pit you know and <laughs> and is surprised when the kid starts running away like deeper into this yeah like i mean he he literally gets um like seth's 12 year old brother he's like drive a four-wheeler bro let's all go <laughs> yeah. out to the mine yeah, I mean... let's, let's let's walk on the treads of the earth eater come on <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's real. Who wants to play with a barrel of acid? Yeah, <laughs> it's real. It's real rough. But as as Seth runs deeper and deeper, um, you know the, the 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 guy, you know, the mining manager who is writing the confession, you know, said, you know, talks about just uh how you know they're they're basically running over the dusty bones of the people who died in the collapsed mine, um, and they're hearing, um, <laughs> they're hearing Seth, hearing Seth sing out the theme song to Bonanza and hearing something else matching the tune with him Spooky. as they go deeper into it. You know, like there, there, there are two voices here and also describing, you know, at the very, you know, at the center of this, at the center of the China pit, um, this kind of red presence, you know, that kind of manifests as these floating embers, you know, and this is when, uh, this is when Tack hopped aboard. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Poor, poor little Seth. Oh, man, he's such a good kid. Yeah, yeah. But you know, Audrey and Herb take him back. You know, the the uh, um, the the shooting happened shortly afterward, and you know, I think the 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 the, the mind director he even says like, "Oh, Seth lives a charmed life. It is mm-hmm. you know, it, it is ridiculous how he manages to survive what, by all appearances, was a ridiculously um, you know terrible shooting, but it was tack." you know, manifesting this and sucking them into their little, uh, so I want to read that book. I want to read, I want to read about the reality bubble the tax sucked them into. Give, yeah, give, give me a, give me a prequel, uh, give me a prequel short story. Yeah. Um, yeah, but <laughs> says he lives a charmed life. Um, but they go, you know, goes and lives with Audrey and Herb and <laughs> tack is fueled by Seth's love of Westerns and GI Joes. Um, and basically is causing emotional pain to Audrey and Herb um there's there's some there's some 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 gross moments you know we had we had mentioned cassie is it cassie styles the um something like that yeah the 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 redheaded heroine um yeah tech i mean the age that seth is seth isn't at an age to really have the capacity or uh, for romantic or sexual love Mm mm-hmm but I mean, Tech is a being that thrives on these type of things, and Tech has a full disconnect with what he wants to do, which is experience sex probably in Seth's body. But mm-hmm. I mean that that's not that's not feasible. Right. So so he he's oh poor poor Audrey's husband poor Herb. Yeah. Well, he he tries to possess uh, Herb to you know to 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 do with Audrey what he wants to, um, and the process of this you know. By trying to jump into somebody's mind who is not Seth's, um, basically Herb's head explodes in the process. Like his eyes bulge out. Like there, there just is not. I'm gonna say there's not enough room, and that's gonna sound like I'm saying like, oh, because Seth is special needs, there's some kind of like, oh, like there's extra space. That's not the way that it's portrayed, but that is unfortunately the way that it comes out when you try to the, describe it. The the only way that Seth can stay, or that Tack can stay in Seth, is because Seth has these psychic gifts. That's yes. the only way that it's feasible, and Tack is not able to possess another human um, that we know of uh, this time in this way. 
Right. So, you know, he attempts to possess her, but her, you know, is not a suitable host. And so his head explodes in the process. And unless this same like this is a this is a one off, it it has not been good. Like there'll be moments when Seth will be Seth and then there'll be moments where they do something that displeases um, him and Tack within him. And then mm-hmm. Tack is like, well, let me just make you punch yourself and twist yeah. your lips and pinch. And I mean, it, it, Tack is torturing the, this this nice couple. Yeah, like he's ex- exploding all of the glassware uh, when they when, when they displease him, um, things like that, and also like sexually dominating and humiliating Audrey. You know, mm-hmm. making her color her hair the same color as Cassie's, forcing her to twist her own nipples. Like it is very upsetting stuff. In addition to just the overall general degradation of them. You know, taxing like, all right, well, just come, you know, keep on feeding me chocolate milk and SpaghettiOs. <laughs> like it, it, it is hell. Like at one point, they take a they take a pamphlet from the religious neighbors who live, you know, off to the side of them, you know, and say like, oh, well, you know, welcome to hell. And Herb just, uh, you know, just circles it, saying like, welcome to hell. Like, like they had to communicate by writing and scribbling on paper because, you know, Seth lacked the capability to read, and so that was the only way they could keep things, you know, under the radar for a little bit. You know, this was um, not a great decision on the religious neighbors to drop by the house. Um, no. It turned off. It turned off. You know, <laughs> the the, um, the the religious neighbor comes over with his son to to spread the word, and I guess the son pops back in later, and who he steals. He steals one of Seth's motocop vans. And... He, he doesn't steal any of, j- just any of them. He steals Cassie's dream cruiser. <sighs> that was a miss, bro. Ooh, you fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this results in Tack slash Seth torturing this family until they move out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really done well. Stephen King does a good job with the creepiness. You know, mm. Seth coming back with wet feet. Um, and they're like, well, that's weird. And then the neighbors have basically like all the tires have been slid on their van or mm-hmm. all these bad things have been happening to them. Uh, and the, descri- creepy. The, the description of, you know, Audrey soon, soon uh, develops the ability to tell like, okay, is it Seth driving or tack driving? Um, mm-hmm. Because like when, when tack is driving, his eyes go dark. Like there's no mm-hmm. real expression. There's nothing in his, you know, in, in his voice. Uh, you know that belies you know any kind of feeling or sensation really and like he goose steps around like you know just like a really stiff leg like he's unaccustomed to moving when tack is driving Mm -hmm. creepy (laughs) kids autumn but but lest we be stuck as the reader with going into too much detail luckily luckily Audrey has a special place she can go. Yeah, Seth has given her Audrey's place. Uh, found a very pleasant memory of a resort that she went to called, uh, oh gosh, where, where do I have this here? The, 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 the Mohonk, right? The Mohonk yeah. something? Yes, yeah. The uh, It's a resort called Mohonk where she spent, you know, just a really nice, I think it was like her honeymoon or something like that. Yeah, or she was, it was some vacation maybe after college, but it was yeah. just some innocent, nice time. And she's there with one of her girlfriends. They're drinking wine. They're listening to jams. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Definitely no one has exploded her husband's head and um, <laughs> taken either. taken control of her her body and home. Right, right. And so whenever this abuse starts up, she literally escapes, you know, into this mm-hmm. refuge that Seth has created. Uh, but it is not, you know, entirely without Tack. There's the Tack phone in this. It's a, a red toy phone that Tack can speak to her through. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's really bad. The the tack phone reminds me a lot of a, a different type of communication system that we'll see in Song of Susanna, the sixth mm-hmm. book. Yeah. 
Uh, which one specifically? I know there's the intercom and the Dogen, but. Um, I, I'm, well, I guess that's what I'm thinking of is the intercom and the Dogen and how you can ramp up and down the pain while pushing the buttons. Mm -hmm. um, something about the tack phone really, really reminds me of that. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the, this is uh, a lot of this. King, King got inspiration from Bachman for the for, for the way the psychic controls happen in the final trilogy. Because mm -hmm. this, I think what's interesting about the, the, the tack phone is um, it, it can interact with the real world, even mm -hmm. though it's in her mind. And I guess that's specifically what reminds me of book six. Yeah. Yeah, it can, it can reach out. Yeah. Um, so this incident right now, you know, this has been bubbling up for two years. It started out fine and then slowly got worse. What's happening right now happened after uh, Tack, I guess, had Seth kill a, a homeless drifter um, in this uh, kind of green space, you know, behind Poplar Street, you know, between you know, basically between the blocks. This green belt is what it is. Yeah. And by directly killing somebody, you know, Tack is able to absorb a whole bunch of power. And so he got enough to basically wrap all of Poplar Street up in this reality bubble and bring in the manifestations to do more killing. And with each person that he kills, he gets more and more power to shape the world in his desired image. Just, I, it, it'd probably be a whole different story if, if he hadn't figured out that killing people and taking their <laughs> essence made him more powerful. Yeah, this is far more efficient than just torturing just, this one woman. Just be a really low budget ad for Chef Boyardee SpaghettiOs <laughs> and chocolate milk, you know? <laughs> the least appetizing. Yeah, feed the bad little boy in your life the, the vitamins that his body needs. <laughs> yeah, all, all the sodium and corn syrup that he needs. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, but these, uh, you know, the, the people doing the shooting, you know, the vans or the motocops vans, you know, and the, the people doing the shooting are kind of the combina a combination of the regulators from his favorite Western and the motocops themselves. Like his whole bay, his whole fantasy is around this, you know, a little bit of a children's media uh, kind of gimmick of the, the good guys and the bad guys teaming up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's and so they're teaming up to uh, to go kill all of the uh, all of the nice people on Poplar Street. <laughs> you know, we we possibly neglected to mention earlier when we were discussing the the dietary habits. Tack does have one. Uh, I don't know if you would call it a weakness, but that's he a weakness. It's kryptonite. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got one one proclivity that you would think would actually make him have a whole different diet. Yes, you 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 think that he would want to get just a little bit more. Uh, Oh, just a, a little bit more predictable um, because Tack cannot stand being in Seth's body when he is uh, pooping. Yeah. The, the the way he describes it, he says like, oh, throwing up, it's easy because it's quick. But just the, the feeling of just tension and sliding, like he describes it in this like, you know, like and, and you think about it. Yeah, it's kind of kind of gross. I, I would I, I would not think that a demon who revels in so much of this. So, so much of this just kind of like really juvenile media would just look at pooping yeah. and say, oh, man, I, I can't be around that. Oh. Oh, or or the one that, that we saw in Desperation where he was like, well, let's all kill and eat each other. But yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody go number two. Gross. That is that is a crime against uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that is over the line yeah, is what like, it is. Yeah. The, the cannibalism. Great. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah, but uh, Seth and Audrey, uh, so Seth is able to speak to Audrey over his phone, um, you know, perfectly clearly, um, which is, you know, good for Audrey because they formulate a plan. Audrey laces his chocolate milk with laxative, 
uh, I think John, Johnny later on says like the the fact that a you know a regular summer camp prank could disable this uh, this this timeless demon is absurd, and it is, but it works. <laughs> so the uh, kind of the the fever dream subsides whenever uh, whenever Seth is taken to go uh, to go drop his underoos. <laughs> so all of that is backstory and now we can talk about what is happening on poplar street um we had peter jackson he was ensnared by tack and uh tack has been feeding off of him more and more and his mind is ruined the like the just the camera pan over to peter sitting in the chair with his you know wearing his have a nice day smiley face t-shirt and just his big vacant grin um, just as they're, you know, basically the lights are on, but nobody's home. Yeah. Um, you know, but Tack says, Hey, go out to the green belt to meet, you know, to meet my friend, which is the, the, the homeless person that Tack had killed. Everybody else decides to mount this, uh, expedition into the green belt as well, figuring they can get off of the street. Um, <laughs> the, the survivors are often two different groups. Uh, the two expeditions. So Steve, uh, who is like Steve from desperation, except more hippie ish. And less heavy metal roadie ish. We we neglected to mention we we even see Cynthia from uh, Rose Matter and Desperation. Cynthia is criminally underused here. Absolutely, she, they mentioned at some point that she's kind of cool. She's got the two two tone hair, but yeah. um, I, I also probably would have used her a little bit more. She, I mean, she she is cool, and we know she's scrappy. Yeah, she's a great character. <laughs> like I, I I loved her in Rose Matter. She was great in Desperation. Like her and uh, her and Steve as viewpoint characters, uh, you know, especially effective. It just yeah, she's here, but she doesn't do an awful lot aside from just kind of like buddy up with Steve a little bit. Mm -hmm. Hey, Steve even has that yellow rider truck. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> it's our old friend yeah he just he's swinging through from new york you know um but yeah steve and collie go out um in one group and then two twins jim and dave they're kind of like teenagers their mom uh cammy is really reluctant to send them out but johnny says hey you need somebody uh to go with me so mm, saddle up uh they the fact that they were not communicating with each other these two groups leads solely to tragedy but we need to talk about the world we need to talk about what they see when they look outside how awesome is this autumn? Oh yeah. They're they're trying to get out of their neighborhood and their neighborhood is not really their neighborhood anymore. No. And just the the the, the way this this is described. So it's all done like in a very fragmentary kind of way, just done through observations that the characters make. Like, oh, that bike rack, well that's a hitching post now. Oh, the Hobart house, like, was that always, you know, kind of a southwestern hacienda, like an adobe kind of thing? Like, you know, very slowly, this is being made into, like, a television version of what a Western town would be. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's not a good one. I mean, it looks like if I tried to draw a bicycle right now, I'd, I'd probably have the bike chain attached to the seat and the handlebars somehow. I mean, like, it's it's not good. Yeah. This, this is genuinely clever, too, because everybody is noticing, like, it's kind of like this, but kind of not, because you know, tax basis for all of this is through Seth's perception, you know, like, just, okay, like, what have you tasked a kid with creating a world? Well, they would draw it, and they would draw it poorly because they are children, right? So there are these cacti around, but they're all blobby. You know, like, there are mountains off in the, off in the distance, but they're, you know, they're, they're not like you know, hills, you know, rolling with like trees on them or anything. They're just straight up like triangles sticking out of the, uh, sticking out of the horizon. 
um yeah. <laughs> the ground is dusty but it's kind of the uh just it, it's, it has the color of like pencil graphite yeah and you you'd imagine i mean we're seeing some other issues with the coyote but i mean it, these are all almost like little kid drawings like you know the 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 coyote wouldn't have genitals or an anus like it would just <laughs> right. it would just have a mouth yeah and it would <laughs> have know? like weird proportions you have that you have that buzzard that had like one wing is longer than the other and its wings are impossibly small and like it, it kind of got confused between a buzzard <laughs> a vulture and a, and a bald eagle like this is really cool just like, like all of these things from a kid's point of view poorly rendered through the power of this demon you know, it, this actually might be a, a feature, not a bug, because perhaps, you know, Tack would prefer not to have these things be able to go to the bathroom. <laughs> this is true. Like, it, dis it disgusts him. Yeah, I don't want my, my fantasy manifestations to be, you know, deucing out everywhere. Blah. No, not if you have the option. <laughs> yeah. And you just want them, I guess, to eventually just explode after they eat enough. Oh, that would be ideal. Yeah. Maybe just sweat it out. <laughs> but yeah just the, the 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 landscape that is around them is described in just enough detail to be really like queasy is the word that i would use for it like just uh everything is in is infirm like the uh the, the the cacti they like jut out like the all you know the arms of the cactus are just going all over the place like it is a genuine hazard as people are trying to walk through them and everyone's kind of baffled by what they're seeing. I mean, the this is dangerous too. I mean, like the coyotes coming at them. I mean, it's 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 not just a drawing. I mean, there's very real dangers. Yeah. Oh, and the coyote also is it the coyote or the mountain lion? I made a note of this, but I can't remember now. I think the mountain lion. The mountain lion has human hands, and anytime you have an animal that has uh, just like one part of their body that is human. Just the idea of like a, a like a dog with human teeth really messes me up. Oh yeah, no, it was the coyote. You're right. The mountain lion was the one that was the scariest, but the coyote was the one with the creepy little baby hands. <laughs> yeah, because you know you're not going to draw a paw, but you know what hands look like. How different <laughs> could they be? It's like it's like cartoons how they did the the wrong number of fingers just because it looked better in animation. This yeah. this coyote has all the fingers. Yeah, maybe maybe more. You know, for opening up cans of spaghettios. For, uh, for 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 Seth later on, he's planning ahead, you know. Like just a cool dog butler. <laughs> I want one of those very badly. <laughs> um, yeah. So these two groups they encounter each other, and one of them, Jim, just fires because none of them are ready for this. Accidentally shooting Entragian in the head, and I think as uh, I think Kali he finishes himself off by like jumping onto a cactus to end his misery, something like that. Yeah. You know, and and Jim kills himself out of guilt because they are, you know, screaming at screaming at each other about this. Like this is this is all gone wrong. And and Jim's just a little teenager, teenager too. Like he's yeah. like a sixteen year old twin. Like he's out there with his brother in this this group. I mean, this is this is some pretty rough stuff. Yeah. No, they shouldn't. Uh, mm. Yeah, and Johnny obviously feels very guilty because he insisted that they go with him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some of the others, uh, the other survivors are drawn by the shots. Cammy, uh, Jim's Jim's mom, comes along, and Cynthia is there. Cammy's enraged that her son, you know, is dead. She takes up a rifle. They have a scuffle, and you know, she nearly shoots Johnny, but instead takes out the mountain lion as it intervenes. You know, I, it's really a shame earlier that I, I wasted so much time hating Ralphie and um, being mean with that Mar being mad at that Marielle with the arm because can't oh Kim, oh my God Kim oh Cammy I just want to 
Oh, she's uh, the worst. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, okay. Well, we, I got confused. You said Cammy. I thought you said Kim. Kim is also really bad. Oh, is Kim the one that was the was doing the slurs? And yeah. Was it Kim? Yeah. So, oh. so, so, Cam, Cammy loses it because you know she lost her son, which is obviously, obviously very bad. Uh, yeah. We should talk about this. So, back at the house, is Marielle's dad? Um, Gary has drunk himself into a stupor and also been eaten by a Gila monster or a Gila monster <laughs> that has a dinosaur head because there was a Gila monster in the regulators movie. So why wouldn't there be one here? And, and Hey, we all saw Jurassic park. We know about that little, that little dinosaur that spits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel ashamed that I cannot off the top of my head, name that dinosaur. Oh mm. man. Yep. Oh, I'm not going to try. I would just embarrass myself. Um, <laughs> So yeah, Cammy, she's on a warpath because she lost her son. Understandable. Kim, you know, she's in the same situation that everybody's in. Everybody is under pressure. However, her cracking uh, is kind. It shows up as her throwing racial slurs at Belinda. Ooh, and yeah. they, they we didn't talk about this before. They kind of set it up about, um, and this is just, I guess, the most probably white liberal thing ever. But the towns are the street is so happy that they have a black family. Yeah, like they're all just patting themselves on the back about <laughs> how like woke and progressive they are. Like it's it's kind of it's kind of gross. Yeah, like oh, you know, like we we have a black family and none of us have chased them out yet. It's great. It's really, it's, it's kind of, and I, I was actually uh, maybe more fine with it at the beginning, but this mm-hmm. scene is ugly. It's, it is really gross. And, you know, when I, when, when I talk about, you know, kind of being happy at what happens to Kim, like, you know, whatever, <laughs> any, any person with backward ignorant views should probably have time to understand the error of that and grow to be a better person. However, in fiction, when somebody uh, is signaled so strongly as being shitty and prejudiced like this, uh, to have them explode into a cloud of red mist is actually pretty, it feels pretty good. Yeah. I do not want to sound like a vindictive person about this, but it, it couldn't have happened to a nicer person. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's well-deserved. Yeah. You know, she does this, like Audrey's come back and said like, Hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, she's escaped from the house and tells them everything that she knows about Seth's uh, possession and she warns them hey the regulators are going to be on their way back he, he, he literally can't shit forever kim runs out basically to yell at them and say oh <laughs> even even uh, con- uh continuing this her, her her response is like to go out and say the cops are coming i've called the cops um and uh you know a shot you know uh, from this basically artillery cannon a kid's idea of what a gun would be comes and blows her into well, they say, okay, well, her shoes are there. Her feet are inside the shoes. The rest of her is gone. There's a red stain on the wall behind her. And then a couple of seconds later, just droplets of her land all around. Good. Like it is raining. <laughs> maybe, maybe cool it, Jamie Crow. Maybe cool it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it seems like the regulators are about to ramp up and um, go all pro ice on everybody. Mm-hmm. But um, luckily, we're... <laughs> sorry, pro ice in a hard situation. <laughs> Thank you. All right, I I really should have just let that pass, but I couldn't. I I, I was hoping you would get the reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Continue. but luckily we're we're saved um, not by the bell. We're saved by the bathroom. Yep, because uh, Seth has got a rumbly in his tumbly, and it comes at just the right time. 
Yeah, those laxatives are kicking in right after. I mean, again, we were just a hair's breadth away from Kim not being turned into red mist. Yeah, it, it, it perfectly timed, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so sensing their opportunity, Audrey and Johnny go into the Weiler house um, to you know to deal with this. They rush in to find Seth, who has gone into his uh, into his own his own kind of internal private place, Seth Seth's place. Um, and he's actually like using levers to shut his body down. Basically, you know, to, to shut down his emotions. And there's this power struggle as Tack is trying to, you know, work his way back in. You know, uh, but Tack is underestimating exactly how strong he is. Meanwhile, Seth has also sent this command to Cammy, you know, the enraged, the enraged Cammy who's running around with a 30 out 6 rifle saying, like, hey, you need to come in and kill me. Um, because without Seth, Tack has no host. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think. I, this is a really good plan, and I, as as a reader, when I was reading this, I I didn't I didn't realize how good Seth's plan was. I had a lot of anxiety when when Tack was trying to get back in the body, and Cammy's mm-hmm. rolling up in there with a gun. I mean, it, it this was a this was a good plan, and it, it says a lot that how much Tack wanted to cling to life and power. That mm-hmm. Tack and I were both really surprised <laughs> by what Seth did. Yes. Um, there's no margin for error in this, and it succeeds at being very suspenseful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Audrey sweeps Seth up, and they both go into their respective places. Um, and Seth starts running for the door in his, hoping that it leads where he thinks it's going to lead. Um, mm-hmm. And Cammy blows off Seth, Seth's head and then also shoots Audrey through the throat, stranding Tack outside, outside of Seth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, poor Cammy. like she obviously was mur- murderous or whatever, but Tack tries, you know, leap, leaps to her because without a host, he cannot survive. And this is the goriest head explosion I think I've seen described in fiction. <laughs> yeah. Just the, the, the description of her eyes bugging out and her mouth kind of like swelling outward and the jaw, like just the, the pressure. I think is sold really well in the description of it. Mm-hmm. It just makes it seem so much more easy and breezy to just turn into a fine red mist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why did Kim get off easy? <laughs> <sighs> but yes, uh, Cammy's head explodes uh, and Tack is left with no host to go to and reality snaps back. The bubble is popped. All of the houses are not so much back to normal, um, but you know, they're no longer Western. They're, you know, blown apart and burning and things like that. But the police are showing up. Um, very little time has passed. I think it's like three minutes is what Steve observes. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I um, would not want to be explaining what went down here to the cops. Like (laughs) there are like six dead people. Yeah. (laughs) um... There's whatever the hell this red mist is on everything. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Did somebody leave some juice out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Somebody get some some food coloring into the the sprinkler. <laughs> yep, that classic prank. Yeah. Um. No, Johnny. Uh, you know, like, we're we're left with his point of view on this. You know, saying like, actually, the less we talk, the easier things are going to be for us. They're eventually going to find find an excuse for this. You know, maybe they'll arrest somebody. Maybe they won't. But, um, yeah. And they just they're they're left with that. Yeah. <laughs> they look up and they see a, a cloud that looks like a cowboy on a horse above Columbus, above scenic downtown Columbus. 
Um, but even that <laughs> dissipates. Which is, is kind of interesting that we see that like a ghost rider in the sky because at the end of desperation didn't we see a dust cloud that made like a a coyote and then dissipated Mm -hmm. yeah i forgot about that detail but you were absolutely right yeah it's nice that we had kind of two endings once uh (laughs) tack is defeated but um they were specific and relevant we had dust twinners yeah like dust twinners in the sky yeah, specific to the different um, kind of fixations. Tack and Desperation was a command, you know, in command of all of the low beasts. And in this, you know, yeah, he, he had his cowboys. Tack, of course, gives his, you know, gives his I'm a badass villain and I'll come and find you uh, speech. Like, oh, I'll haunt you to the end of your days. But he's he's obviously gone. <laughs> he, 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 you know, without a host, he evaporates like a, you know, like a like a like a parking lot puddle. And everybody is left with the prospect of trying to get back to normal. And, and this this book has the sweetest and most unexpected epilogue. I, I am very happy that Seth and Audrey get to live get get, get to live in their paradise. We we're we're left, and we have a, a letter that a lady's writing to her relative, and she's like, "I'm staying at this cool resort called Mohonk, and you're not going to believe it, but there's a ghost story." <laughs> I know you like ghost stories. I know you've read your copy of The Shining to Shreds. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's this haunted gazebo, and people people believe that it's the ghost of you know a woman and a young boy. They'll find half-eaten bowls of spaghettios. They'll find drawings. And hey, here's this this uh, action figure that we can't identify. It looks a little bit like a GI Joe, but it, you know it's different. Like maybe show it, maybe show it to some of the some of the kids that you teach. Uh, see if they can see if they can figure out what it is. They, and uh, <laughs> good. I was gonna say I just love that, um, like the little detail where she's like, you know, most of the time you hear about ghosts being in old timey clothes, but these guys are in really modern clothes, like high tops and yeah. like a tank top on the lady. <laughs> Yeah, she's like a, she's she's in a tank top and capris, and the kids in basketball shorts and like cowboy boots. Everybody notices that the kid is wearing cowboy boots and basketball shorts. Like that yeah. is that that that's very strange. Um, it's also very cool that like very specifically the Cassie figure is cast aside. Like a part of this is Seth understanding that like the, he needs to grow up and move beyond you know his his obsession with this stuff. But like Tack is basically latched onto and you know spoiled so like part of the ending for him and a part of finding his paradise is throwing that stuff away yeah because you would you would think i mean because i i as i mentioned before i was really surprised when they were both killed mm-hmm. i mean like i'm like no 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 no. there's a plan <laughs> where they both survive and everything's fine when is that happening and i'm like epilogue like, <laughs> well, like wait a minute my friends like stuff was just starting to go right <laughs> yeah they'd been through so much <laughs> so much they deserved a little bit more but they got it but this this was a really sweet treat. Yeah, it's very good. I uh, like that ending quite a bit, even if the rest of the book is a mess that has some very good imagery in it. <laughs> I, once again, I, that's what I trek back to. Like, I'm sure Stephen King would write amazing erotic Star Trek fiction, but <laughs> I just I just don't necessarily need to read erotic Star Trek fiction, no matter mm-hmm. how well written it is. I'm fine yeah. with it. I just it's not maybe not my deal. You know? Right, you 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 wouldn't you wouldn't seek it out on your own, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, crossover erotic Star Trek fan fiction, absolutely. Oh yeah, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna pick a franchise and ride along, you know, ride along, <laughs> you know, 
exactly. You're, 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 you're going to show up for what you're going to show up for. And if Star Trek happens to be happening, then that's, you know, that's just going to have to be okay. It's my fantasy and I can invite any, like any <laughs> franchises that I want. <laughs> yeah. Um, how does this uh, kind of stack up in terms of tone or, you know, uh, how does this fit in with the other Bachman books that you've read? You know, it's interesting reading a more modern Bachman book, I guess, because he—I don't remember when he he put Bachman to put Bachman to sleep originally, <laughs> but I think it was pretty early in his writing career, like definitely like before the end of the eighties, right? It was like nineteen eighty four. Um, people yeah. people had figured out that King was Bachman around the time Thinner came out. I think that in terms of cast of characters and character development, this is pretty in line with it. Like the Bachman books are always a little bit more plot driven. Mm -hmm. um, you'll have some internal monologues and everything. But um, I think that this is kind of in line with that. I mean, he spends a lot of time developing those characters in desperation. But um, uh, the, the plot in this is a, a little bit a little bit shallow. And I think either you or I mentioned this word before, but it's 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 a little bit ridiculous ridiculous like the, mm. the whole idea of evil coming to a small town or these innocent people that showed up in a town like desperation and awoke an ancient evil mm -hmm. is somehow more plausible to me than cartoon western monsters or killing families <laughs> yeah yeah it's a, it, it's a thin line because you could like like a lot of these premises you know as described could could go this way right mm -hmm. it's like it's in the execution yeah. Well, what about you? What was your take on it? Um, again, like this, uh, some very effective imagery in this, like specifically Tack running the household um, yeah. is, you know, a very effective flavor of horror. Just the basically the de the degenerate behavior of children is always going to be something that is uh, that will work for me in terms of, you know, kind of like giving me the creeps. Yeah. Um, you know, it's fun. Uh, if you read it as a comedy or if you're goofing on it with people, I think that is probably the best way to, uh, the best way to enjoy it. So, uh, Yahtzee for us, <laughs> we yeah. managed to, we, 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 we had the best circumstance to enjoy it. Oh, we nailed it. Yeah. I, um, I can see myself going back and reading Salem's lot, maybe a year or a year or two from now. Mm -hmm. I don't know the regulators would be very high up on my Stephen King reread list. Yeah. Uh, a word, not, I, it, word I used a little bit earlier is disposable. I think that's that's a that's a very elegant word to use. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any final thoughts about it? Um, no, I, I um, I'm really glad that I, I think it was laid out perfectly the way the order that you have these in doing mm -hmm. desperation. I was trying to decide which I'd like to read first. And I think definitely desperation first. Um, but um, who I, I cannot <laughs> wait for wolves of the Cala same I'm, the, I'm i've started my reread already um oh, the, the western tie-in and everything this is gonna be this is gonna be a, a fun book to, to <laughs> listen to i think um i can't wait to hear everybody talk about it same yeah oh we're about to meet andy i, I hate andy so much <laughs> oh well thank you autumn for hopping on here to talk about the regulators this has been a lot of fun uh where can people find you online um, you can find me on Twitter at at Mrs. Greer. That's at M-I-S-S-U-S -S Greer. Um, I was also recently on a podcast called The Big Tune uh, with two very cool guys from New Zealand where we discussed um, Young Thug's magnum opus, um, Barter Six, uh, mm. his his mixtape there. Um, so you can check that out online. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
um, you're going to need to, uh, I need to find that so I can include, include a link to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and if you're listening, you know where to find, uh, where to find us here. Uh, if you're hearing this, the day it comes out, it is not out just yet. But, um, if you're listening to this on the regular feed, go and, uh, check out duckfeed.tv slash store to find the new duck bundle. Um, last year we did, uh, a charity bundle of shows from the network that, uh, uh, you know, contained like one episode of each show went to three great causes. We did it again. Uh, this year, the radio Freeman world, it is me and Evan Thorne. We are talking about 1922. Autumn, have you seen 1922? I have not. It's on my Netflix to watch list. And I don't know, I, I get a glass of wine in me and I want to watch something <laughs> cheerful, which I, it, doesn't look from the preview like it's um you know it's it's no um wet hot american summer no no it's one of the most dismal things i've ever seen but it is also <laughs> very good oh i can't wait yeah um but yeah there's also lots of uh lots of other good stuff if you if you are a fan of the greers uh jeremy uh as always has he has an episode of uh um oh gosh days of future cast that you did with gary about the x-men anime my understanding is they hated it <laughs> yeah <laughs> But yeah, all of that's uh, duckfeed.tv slash store goes to support three great causes. You can find all of the description there. We're super excited about it. Otherwise, duckfeed.tv, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts if you can. And uh, especially with a new season coming up, uh, be sure to tell your friends if you like podcasts or Stephen King or Dark Tower or hopefully all three. Um, cool. Well, I think that is just about everything. Uh, thanks again, Autumn. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with the beginning of Wolves of the Cala. Uh, and until then, long days and pleasant nights. <laughs>